perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the Irish again, right? Yeah, uh, How often do you get to say that one? About every day. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, everybody? It is episode 231 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny, and we've got just a little bit of news to go through. Four Roses, like every other distillery out there, is trying to figure out what do you do with old barrels, and there are all kinds of breweries across the nation that just want to gobble them up. And Four Roses is collaborating with Brooklyn Brewery for a new limited-release beer called Black Ops. Now, I've seen it before, but this one's a little bit different because this vintage of Brooklyn Black Ops was aged for four months in Four Roses small-batch barrels that were then selected by master distiller Brent Elliott and re-fermented with champagne yeast. This Russian Imperial Stout comes at 12.4 ABV, raises a fluffy dark brown head, combines big chocolate and coffee notes with a rich underpinning of vanilla-like oak. Brooklyn Black Ops will be available in limited quantities wherever Brooklyn Brewery is available. A new development is happening in downtown Louisville with a new website that offers an interactive map, a whole list of attractions featuring downtown distilleries like Old Forester, Angel's Envy, Michter's, plus a whole gallery of pictures. It's called the Bourbon District. There are flagpoles and information signs going up around downtown, around the city that give information, history, and directions to all the bourbon-related happenings in downtown Louisville. You can check it out online at bourbonism.com. That's like tourism, but bourbonism.com. Ryan and myself, we traveled down to Lynchburg, Tennessee this week to go and pick our first ever single barrel of Jack Daniels. We've heard so much about these single barrels being stag killers that we just had to go out and try it for ourselves. We're really looking forward to bringing this barrel selection along with many others to our Patreon community in 2020. And right now, our goal is set at 20 barrels selected for the Patreon community in the next calendar year. And with the holidays approaching, it's a good time to think about how fortunate we are that we get to enjoy this great hobby of bourbon. With the help of the Bourbon Pursuit Patreon community and the fellows on the roundtable, we've kicked off our first ever Christmas charity raffle. Go to bourbonpursuit.com Christmas to see all the packages that we have lined up. There's bottles of Pursuit Series Episode 17, which was our collaboration with Willet Distillery, a Maker's Mark 46 private selection that we did, a Russell's Reserve from Rare Bird 101, a Michter's Barrel Strength Rye, Elijah Craig Barrel Proof, the Old Label, a Traverse City collaboration from Bourboner, as well as Breaking Bourbon, and even more bottles. There's also apparel, glassware, tasting sheets, uh, a complete signed copies of all the books that have come from Fred Minnick, as well as a signed copy from Sippin' Corner Brian Hara as well. Every dollar raised is going to the USO and Pets for Vets. Both of these organizations do incredible things for our veterans and their families. Every entry gives you a chance to win any of the prize packages that we have. And of course, you must be 21 year old or older to enter. Entries are accepted until midnight of December 22nd, 2019. So please go visit bourbonpursuit.com slash Christmas to get in on the action and help out veterans in this holiday season. Now, for today's podcast, Connor O'Driscoll, he's beginning to make a name for himself in this bourbon world. After spending his career at Brown Foreman and Angel's Envy, he was recruited to fulfill the role left behind by Denny Potter. Connor is now the seventh master distiller in Heaven Hill's 84-year history. We spent some time getting to know Connor's past, what the recruitment looks like, even like that whole process to even find a new master distiller, 
and what his role is going to be with the operation side of things and how at the end of the day, he just doesn't want to screw anything up. All right, let's kick off the podcast. Here's Fred Minnick with the Buff the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. As a journalist, I get pitched a lot of stories. And over the past 15 years, you know, in covering the booze business in one shape or another, I have received about every pitch you can possibly imagine from celebrities uh, to new nightclubs, you know, to the fads like uh, White Claw and every kind of vodka flavor you can imagine. And yada, and on, and on, and on, and on. One of the latest trends in the booze industry is is one of the more fascinating uh, trends that I have ever seen. And that is dry January. And this entire belief that the alcohol industry needs to start preaching and talking about not drinking. And what's interesting about this is that you would say, you could take a step back and say, well, if you encourage people to not consume alcohol, wouldn't that hurt the industry? But the counter to that is, take a look at what happens when you drink too much. People die. People die of liver poisoning. There's certain types of cancers that are linked to uh, drinking too much alcohol. There's all kinds of problems that can be linked to overconsumption. And by overconsumption, I'm talking five to seven drinks a day you know, getting drunk every day, uh, binge drinking to the point of where you have to get your stomach pumped on a regular basis. I mean, these are real issues that people face. And to counter that, the alcohol industry has been promoting mocktails in dry uh, January. Now, I'm torn because I'm a firm believer in drinking moderation. And I'm a firm believer in just being responsible and it's something in our, there's something in our country's DNA that we don't allow ourselves to really have a conversation about what is responsibility. Even the brands, they're all saying, yada, 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 drink responsibly. Don't drink and drive, all this. But what is drinking responsibly? Well, they'll say, well, it's having two drinks. But, but again, what is it? Is it, you know, drinking, not drinking when you're emotionally, you know, inspired or connected to something? Is it not drinking on anniversaries? Is it uh, just having one drink and, you know, maybe you just got married or you're celebrating something? Can you have five drinks then? I mean, no one really talks about what drinking responsibly is. They just have their taglines. And now this whole effort about, you know, mocktails and dry January, it, it makes me question if we truly know what we're trying to do in this business when it comes to encouraging moderation. Because if you ask me, getting people to not drink during January has the opposite effect. That's teaching abstinence. That's not moderation. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at Fred Minnick and check out my new YouTube series on YouTube. Just search my name, Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. 
Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Gift 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean, instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to knowsyourbourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Welcome back to the episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan here. And this is the this is the first time I think Ryan might have been to this office in this conference room uh, because... No. Oh, you haven't? You've been here yeah, before? Yeah, I've been here. Bernie Lovers. Oh, we were We Bernie were not in this here. conference room. Yeah, I remember that. It wasn't that, this man. red. Yeah, because yeah. I was like, we had we had Larry on last time. And, you know, so we, we were at the... the I don't if you call it the marketing offices, it's the uh, the business offices of Heaven Hill that are located here in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, it's catty corner to the Maker's Mark offices, so they're always spying on each other to kind of figure <laughs> out uh, what's happening over there and stuff like that. I guess Bartstown's just not good enough for them. They gotta, you know, <laughs> come to Louisville. I don't know why. I mean, I, no, I totally get it. There's way more lunch spots and <laughs> places to take people. Yeah, there's <laughs> more than mammies. Um, but you know, the other thing is, you know, I also feel bad for a lot of these people that that do have to work in these multiple locations because uh, you are, you're driving a lot back and forth to whether it's the distillery or whether it's the offices, because, uh, you know, we're not going to Bardstown. We all happen to be here in, in Louisville. So it, it made sense to come here, but I know that, uh, you know, our guest today, he's got to go, he's got to go to the Bernheim distillery. He's got to come here. He's got to go to the, the heritage center. He's, he's all, he's making the, the, the trifecta of all the places he has to hit up. I guess we'll find out if that's one of the perks, you know, you get mileage <laughs> or uh, mileage. gas reimbursement or, or a company. <laughs> any car uh, when you're a master distiller. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So with that, let's go ahead and introduce our guest. So today we have Connor O'Driscoll. Connor is the newest minted master distiller at Heaven Hill. He is also the fifth master distiller that's been crowned at Heaven Hill. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. I think I'm seventh. I'm seventh? Is that seventh. what it was? Yeah, okay. fifth in the Shapira era. Fifth in the Shapira era. Okay. seventh in the Heaven Hill. See, that's what happens when you get Wikipedia information. Yeah, Somebody didn't update it. <laughs> the, the Google food just wasn't on my side this morning. 
morning. <laughs> yep. So, Connor, welcome to the show. It's great Thank to you. have great you. Great to be here. Really honored to be here. Yeah, I mean, we've we've met before. We we talked. We at, dined and yeah, know, we had did. Some booze. Uh, we didn't wine that? and dine. We whiskey and dine. Whiskey and dine. Yeah. yeah. What was that? What was it? It was uh, at uh, Ra. Yeah, it was. What, what, what was it? A launch? It was a that was my debutante. Get to get to know Connor kind of night is what it was. So yep. And and you we know, must have made an impression in Vice back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vice versa, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And and I could understand like it's it's got to be difficult coming into a situation like this and and seeing a product portfolio that's the breadth in front of you and saying like okay now I've got to be the face of this. Yeah. yeah. Don't screw it up. Bingo. I mean that, that literally was the the guiding mantra. The the first well it still is. Don't screw it up. But you mentioned the portfolio. Um, you know the other places I've worked are uh, you know great whiskeys, but it was like one whiskey, maybe two or three, and now you come to Heaven Hill, and there's a lot. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I'm I'm still learning the portfolio. But what a, what a fun facet of the job to learn the portfolio. Yeah. Well, not only in bourbon, you have like, and I'm not sure if you do, but all the different brands, you know, yeah, vodka, yeah, I mean, rums, I mean, brandies. We're, we're, well, we're making. I'm, I'm on the. I'm still learning the whiskey end of things. So yeah, we, you know, we got our five mash bills that go into multiple different SKUs, um, and you know everything from you know Malacorn corn whiskey all the way up to Heaven Hill 27 with all the fantastic uh, products in between there. Sure. So before we get started on the products, we want to kind of get know more about you because um, I, I can't pin it down. Exactly what region from Texas are you from? <laughs> <laughs> very, very far eastern Texas. <laughs> so far east across the Atlantic. I grew up in Dublin in Ireland. So the the joke is they put an Irishman in charge of the whiskey. Mm-hmm. Am I living the dream or am I living the stereotype? Uh, <laughs> to, to be determined. So yeah, I grew up in Dublin, uh, went to school there, got my degree in chemical engineering there. And actually started my career with Pfizer Pharmaceuticals uh, in Cork on the south coast of Ireland. Um, I'd been with them for, I forget, not quite a year. And they asked me to go to Terre Haute, Indiana. Uh, yeah, buddy. For, yeah, buddy. <laughs> for a, for a six-month assignment. going to work for John Deere or yeah. something? <laughs> <laughs> no, they had a – actually, it was kind of cool. Um, you know, for a guy straight out of college, the uh, we were using a genetically engineered enzyme, gen- genetically engineered bacteria to make the enzyme to make cheese, and it started it was a fermentation based process. So, you know, again, for a kid straight out of college, this was bleeding edge technology. And it's, really a, it's cool. amazing that you're like this was exciting. Like these were exciting <laughs> you know, times. The product was exciting. The process was exciting. Yeah, and it was in Terre Haute. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was supposed to be a six-month assignment. Four months in, they asked me to stay, and six years later, I quit. Um, so it wasn't so awful that I couldn't stay there for six years. You know, the people I worked with are fantastic. Still friends with some of them. Um, you know, the, the, the I guess the real thing that kept me there was uh, I reconnected with some friends from Louisville and started coming down here on the weekends. Um, and probably had it not been for that, the, the lure of Terre Haute would not have been strong enough to keep me there. But, uh, you know, got to know Louisville very well, got to know the road from Terre Haute to Louisville really, really well. And, you know, uh, like I said, after six years in Terre Haute, I quit and spent that summer riding my motorcycle across the country. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. yeah still still have it. It's a 93 Super You're a Harley guy? Or I am no? a Harley guy. Okay. Like I said, 93 Super Glide. Um, Spent seven weeks that summer riding 11,098 miles as mm-hmm. I was heading 
back towards Indiana, I realized it was going to be very close to 11,000 miles. I said, if I don't make 11,000 miles, I'm riding around a block. So I do make 11,000 miles. <laughs> but it ended up being 11,000 miles. That's like so. me with my Fitbit. Every day I'm like, all right, yeah. <laughs> it's 10 or 11,000 miles. Steps, yeah, you know? it's kind of the same thing. But I was in Mexico, Canada, and 23 states in between. Wow. Seven wow. weeks. So it was pretty cool. It's quite an epic road trip. It was epic. It was really cool. So, so kind of talk a little bit more about the road trip. Where, was there any like other sites that you're like amazed to see? I know for me personally, people always talk about going and seeing like the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and for me, I remember going and seeing the Grand Canyon. You look, you get there, and you're like, "All right, let's get out of here." Like we've seen it. <laughs> well, so the 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 genesis of the trip was ninety ninety six was the seventy fifth anniversary of Route sixty six. So Harley organized this. Rolling Rally, they called it. Started in Milwaukee, where, Har- where Harleys are built. Uh, came into Chicago, picked up Route 66, and then followed it west to Santa Monica. Um, there's not much left of Route 66, but they had a historian with us who every evening would talk about you know what we'd seen today, what we're going to see tomorrow. And there was 400 and some bikes did it end to end, and I was one of them. And then there was thousands you could join anywhere along the way. So I remember riding into like Tucumcari, New Mexico. And just as far as you could see in front and as far as you could see behind, double line of Harleys. So that was very cool. But, you know, got to see, you know, all kinds of of the U.S. And especially, um, you mentioned the Grand Canyon. I mean, I've been to the Grand Canyon three times, twice on my Harley. And one and the first time was was on this ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's pretty stunning to see it. Mm-hmm. What did you learn about the u.s on that trip that like Vastness. you know before i guess coming from a different country you know you probably have preconceived notions about what been, it's going to be been like or yeah, what you I'd, know i'd been in the in the in the states for six years and had taken multiple road trips you know out west and wherever but uh to see it from the back of a harley and to see it for that long you know i rode every inch of highway one the pacific coast highway you know from the mexican border to the canadian border uh, I rode over Independence Pass. Uh, I rode across the desert in Texas. You know, um, there's one stretch of highway there where you know it's 100 miles between gas stations, and wow. my bike's got about 130 <laughs> mile range. Yeah, like, so, <laughs> so stuff top, like top that. Or off, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I just, the, the, I mean, the vastness, the variety. You know, to go from you know, sea level to 14,000 feet, or well, it's not 40 to 12,000 feet mm-hmm. in times past to go from the Pacific Northwest to Texas desert, you know, just stunning. Well, yep. It's a little bit different than, than Ireland too, because at least in Ireland, if you do that kind of driving, at least you see castles. You're not <laughs> yeah, seeing yeah. castles anywhere <laughs> across the U.S. like that. Not really. Well, Hearst Castle, I think I saw Hearst Castle. Just holiday yeah, ends. Yeah, yeah. Just holiday <laughs> ends. Yeah, stayed absolutely. at a lot of holiday ends. <laughs> yeah. So kind of talk about what's that, that next evolution of, of your journey. How did you get into, I mean, you were doing the cheese thing, you stopped. And yeah, then, well, it wasn't quite, I was the precursor. I was doing the, the enzyme thing. The but, enzyme thing. Um, it's, it's, I know, it sounds really bad. I'm like, oh, yeah. you're doing that cheese thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was, it, we were we were a in the, we were in the cheese supply chain. Put it that yeah. way. Um, you know, the process I worked on in Ireland was fermentation based. Uh, this one in Terre Haute was fermentation based. And after I, well, after the motorcycle trip, I ended up in Colorado and skied all winter. And then got my career going again. And I said, You must have had an awesome severance package. (laughs) (laughs) I I had saved smartly. I got no severance package, but I had saved smartly. And I I, I learned to live cheap again. Yeah, that's that's awesome. (laughs) Um, So when I got my career going again, I said, well, I've tried this production thing. I'll try engineering. And like the the design end of things. And did that for another six years. And that was... 
that was less fulfilling, let's say. It was uh, very Dilbertian. Um, mm-hmm. Is that a word? It is now. Dilbertian. Uh, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll take the the we'll take the new terminology. But it was you know sitting in a cubicle, that type of thing. Um, by this point, I was married, and I'd always said that uh, you know I was going to stay in the U.S. as long as it was fun. And uh, you know, once it was no longer fun, I'd leave. But of course, you know. I'm, you're Trans- still here. It's still so. here. Still fun. Transcontinental motor motorcycle trip, pretty fun. Winter skiing, pretty fun. You know, my wife's still fun. Um, <laughs> 20, Twenty years later, um, twenty-one years later. Uh, so, you know, I said if it, if it had quit being fun, I would go back to Dublin and try and get a job making Guinness because that would be fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I realized I wasn't leaving, and like I said, I was getting tired of this, uh, the engineering end of things. Um, so I go, well, what's next? You know, where, where, should I, where, where should I take my career? And like I said, the, the Guinness thing was uh, in the back of my mind. Of course, the, you know, it's not the closest thing, but you know, kind of along that arc, this bourbon thing seems kind of cool. So that was in 2002 when I really started thinking about it. But, you know, long before any boom, long before, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, any, any even hint of the boom, uh, you know, Woodford uh, had been in existence for, what, six years at that point. Um, that's, that's how long ago it was. So I started knocking on doors and it literally took two years before uh, a guy called Leo Readinger, who had run the, what's now the Brown Foreman Distillery, he retired. And everybody ratcheted up one and opened a position, and I got was lucky enough to get hired into that. And the previous person hired into that that job was my boss, who had been hired twenty six years prior to that. Mm-hmm. So that's how slow the industry was then. But uh, Brown Foreman hired me, and it was like woohoo, dream job. And uh, I spent five years in Shively, you know, uh, learning how to learn how to run a distillery, how to make whiskey. Um, then uh, in 2008, nine, I ran out then, they sent me out to Woodford. And again, Woodford was tiny then. Um, but the boom was probably, that's, you know, it was probably starting then or had started and it was starting to pick up some momentum. Yeah, it's when you kind of start seeing a lot of the, the uptick and rise of people just visiting yes. the distilleries mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, not so much the, the craze we see today of bottles just flying off the shelf, no, but definitely... No. A more of a, an interest from the, the average consumer and probably nearing the time too when a lot of distilleries were thinking like oh we probably need a visitor center <laughs> so Woodford did have a visitor center which was kind of cool but you, you mentioned the uptick in visitors that literally was the first thing we saw you know at that point the visitor center had been designed for maybe 30,000 visitors a year and uh, the bourbon trail came on right around then and really kicked things up. And, you know, um, there weren't that many visitor centers and Woodford had the newest, nicest one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so to that wasn't quite the ground floor of Woodford, but it was pretty close to it. So to be there at that point in in the industry's growth and in Woodford's growth was just, you know, perfect timing. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Look at the Irish again, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, How often do you get to say that one? About every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, like I said, from 2009 till, what was it, uh, two years ago, 17, uh, was at Woodford. Did Most of that was, you know, running the distillery, did, you know, did a lot of cool things, worked with a lot of cool people, learned a ton. Um, kind of was part of it was you know it was just it was gratifying exciting thrilling to be part of the growth of that brand like I said when I went out there it was tiny by the time I left we were shipping over a million cases a year mm-hmm. and you know it had become what it is now or 
you know, close it's, to what yeah, it is. It's yeah. Now. Yeah, it's, you still had a hand in a, a lot of the product that's still coming out today yeah, and yeah. everything like, like that. When I left there, people said, you know, what are you going to do with all the bourbon? You feel the Woodford you have? And I was like, what, well, A, drink it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's good for at least another seven years. You know? Yeah, no, exactly. I, I have confidence it'll be good for a long time. It's still a good team out there. So Yeah, I was about to say, speaking of the team, I mean, talk about uh, a relationship or time with Chris Morris or anything like that, because I know that you, you probably had some sort of interaction with him. Yeah, we worked very closely together and what a cool guy to work with. I mean, his his knowledge of the industry and, uh, you know, he he was clearly the 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 tip of the spear in, in the in the growth of Woodford and, and, and in the guidance of its growth. You know, the master's collections, you know, I was uh, lucky enough to have a hand in those and, you know, make several of those, but they are all his brain children and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to work closely with him and the rest of the team as well. And, you know, the... Um, you know Elizabeth McCall, who's now the system master, so she worked with me for a while at Woodford, and that was that was a lot of fun. She's she's cool. Yeah, um, seems yeah, like we're all a little tight knit family. You guys, yeah, send, yeah. Is there Christmas cards that go back <laughs> yeah. and forth every year too? We just exchange bottles. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious when you get into you know distilling, like you said, you you know you came from the enzyme fermentation. Yeah. Like, is there like that when you show up, is there like, all right, here's the training manual and let's go? No, you know, no, no. There, there really it, isn't, and especially know, back then because you know when. You, you haven't hired someone for 26 years. There's no onboarding manual. There's yeah. no new guy manual. Um, so it was, you know, kind of seat of the pants stuff. You know, I, I followed my Glenn Glazer was my boss. Learned a ton from him. Followed him around every day like a lost puppy. You know, uh, worked with the operators. Kind of sat and asked them. You know, they're, they're, those are the guys who turn the valves and you know run the show. So you know, sit with them and learn from them uh, and just kind of be a sponge, soak it up. So is it kind of like station? So like this month, I'm going to be focusing on how to turn these valves. Next um, month, not, it's, gonna, it's 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 uh, it's all inclusive. It's you know, kind of in depth. Uh, and I remember, you know, by the time I joined Brownform, you know, I'd worked in production for six or seven years. I'd done design engineering, you know, across multiple different interest, industries for another six years. So, um, you know, hired in and. Uh, you know, Glenn said it's going to take a good two years to really understand this process. And I was like, as if. <laughs> <laughs> and literally two years to the day, I was like, I think I'm starting to get this. You know? yeah. But it's just, you know, it's, you know, when you think about making whiskey, um, you know, you get grain, you mill it, mash it, ferment it, distill it, put it in a barrel. Five easy steps. But then you get in a distillery and everything's scheduled on top of itself and there's you've got to do this first but you got to wait for that and then you've got to worry about byproducts and is your yeast up to speed and blah 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 blah. so getting the integration of all those parts and the timing of all those parts and uh just the getting everything to work in concert and understanding all the multiple nuances of that uh that's where the those are the details, and that's where the devil is. So it's like Malcolm Gladwell's rule of 10,000 hours so yeah, to be oh, yeah. a you know, It kind of is. Um, when I read that book, a, a, lot of it, uh, a lot of it rang true. Yeah, for sure. I don't, I'm not familiar with the book. Oh, it's just had that to be an expert, really, they've, if you have 10,000 hours, like that's where you achieve mastery in a, any subject. But so... Well, that's good to know. So yeah. I got about another nine thousand. So there's two thousand. <laughs> if you do forty hours a week, there's you know two thousand working hours in a year. So if you're just doing the bare minimum, you know, it'll take you five years. But, yeah. So, <laughs> but I'm sure you're working more than that. Oh, so way, it, way much it's harder, more accelerated. Yeah. <laughs> so we got a while until we figure out this podcast. Yeah, thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're only like five hundred hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's it's it's. 
it's it's a good way to kind of see how how you you grew up and and you learn the industry from the inside with inside of Brown Foreman mm-hmm. because a lot of people we take tours and you go through and, and they really dumb it down. And as exactly as you said, they, they take the five steps and like, this yeah. is the process. However, there's so many intricacies with inside of that mm-hmm. process that, that you, that you had just talked about, you know, during your time there, what was, what was one of those intricacies that you said, like, okay, this is, this is going to take more time to figure out. Like this is where, <laughs> this is where the variables tend to change a lot, that sort of thing. So the, the easiest example of that is, you know, the optimizing yeasting mashing fermentation at Woodford. You know, when I got there, they were running fermenters. We were making whiskey. Everything was trotting along just fine. Um, and like we talked earlier, this is kind of as the boom was starting up and I was looking at ways to increase productivity in the um, in the distillery. Um, so one of the easiest ways to increase productivity is to put more grain in the fermenters. You know, still doing everything exactly the same way. There's just more grain in there. Therefore, there's more food for the yeast. Therefore, they can make more alcohol. Therefore, you can fill more barrels. Um, so talking with my colleague Kevin Smith down at Jack Daniels, who uh, for every five minutes that I could talk about yeasting, he could talk for five hours. And, and just he's a fascinating guy and just a font of knowledge. Um, but I remember having a casual conversation with him about you know increasing the the beer gallonage and uh, the amount of uh, grain in, in the fermenters, and he says, "Well, before you do that," and he was very polite about it. He says, "Before you do that, you're going to have to fix your yeasting." I was like, "Nothing wrong with our yeasting." I said, "Apparently, I spent a lot of my early career going." Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, you. <laughs> and I was like, you know, we we set a fermenter, and hours later it bubbles, and then days later we get whiskey out of it, and you know he very politely disabused me of that. And that was step one in a two-year process uh, to get from where it was, a very crude uh, way of managing yeast uh, that was actually doing more to hamper the yeast than it was to uh, optimize it. But uh, like I said, two years into it, and the fermenter productivity was up, you know, 25%. The whiskey quality was off the charts. The the, the rates of ferment, uh, fermenter contamination were about zero. You could walk in the distillery and just smell how good it was. And from a initial notion of let's put some more grain in the fermenter to two years later, again, aha, I think we're finally turning the corner here. Yeah. You know, and then, of course, there were there were some short-term gains that are you know, immediate gains. We're like, all right, we're on the right path. But to really you know, get it from a system that might have been that's called 85% efficient to 90% efficient to 95% efficient to 98% efficient, you know, to really start tweaking in the details there. Yeah. So uh, yeast, I mean, I guess it, you, you probably have a good idea of what it's going to do based on experience, but it's a living thing. So are there yeah. times that you're just like, what the hell is going on? Like I did everything right. And it's just like, Gone to shit. Um, <laughs> if you do everything right, it won't. But so if it goes to shit, then something's gone wrong. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. is the bottom line. Um, you know, the the easiest way to think about it is, I mean, the yeast makes all the alcohol and a, a good chunk of the flavor. Um, so if you treat the yeast right, she'll treat you right back. And um, best quote on that: um, I was doing a Camp Runamuck group at uh, at Woodford and I had to give a, like a 15 minute master class in yeasting mashing fermentation uh, three times a day um, but one of the groups uh, the young lady on it after I gave my yeasting spiel so she said so around here yeast is queen I was like 
Yes, that's exactly it. That's the perfect way to put it. So again, you treat the East right, you know, she'll treat you right, right back, and uh, you know that's uh, that's that's kind of the goal. So let's move to the the next stage in your journey here. So Brown Foreman, your time there was done in 2017. I think yeah. you had a little bit of stint at Angel's Envy as well. You I did. Talk so, about that. Yeah. So um, I was kind of plodding along, doing my uh, doing my thing at Woodford, and you know by this stage I was running the warehousing and processing. So another chunk of the industry, learning something new. Um, we were building the new warehouses at Woodford, so uh, you know, kind of overseeing that and understanding how to operate these giant warehouses. Um, but once we got that system down, it kind of became rote. And I was like, all right, you know, what else What else is out there? Um, you know, I've had 14 really fantastic years at Brown Foreman. You know, is there anything within Brown Foreman? Is there anything without? And right as I was thinking these things, uh, a former Brown Foreman colleague, a former Woodford colleague who is now at Angels Envy, she called me and said, hey, we may have a position. Are you interested? So I went down there on a Saturday morning, very surreptitiously, and kind of looked around. And uh, they heard they were, you know, less than a year out of startup and you know, brand new facility, but in an older building. You've you've been to the mm-hmm. yeah yeah. It's gorgeous they they ran into a lot of issues getting that thing up and running too. So. And they got through them all. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, just everything about it kind of resonated with me. And You're like, yes, I don't have to drive it for sales. Anymore. That was a significant <laughs> part of it because by this point we had warehouses in. Midway. So my commute was from Louisville to Midway, check in with the gang there, then come back to Versailles and generally spend the rest of my day in Versailles, but occasionally bebop between the two of them and then come home. So getting close to three hours a day in the car. Wow. wow. Uh, yeah. Audio so, book time. You know, podcast. Like and that was podcast. before say. I was like, I know people in like LA and they do all those commutes every day in, uh, in San Francisco. And I'm like, how do you sit in the car for an hour one way every single day? Like, so I, I mean, I was doing highway speed, so it was, it, yeah. was, it was relatively benign. And you know, for most of that time, I was driving to Woodford to make whiskey. You know, it's not that bad. Yeah. Um, but uh, the you know the the first several months that I was at Angel's Envy, and I would drive home in ten minutes. I'd literally sit in the garage and like, <laughs> what do I do now? How, how did I get here? <laughs> and like, what do I do all this? Because I'm gonna have to take a walk to listen to yeah, yeah, catch yeah. up on my podcast. Uh, wait, that, or, that or it's like I better go to the bar home or go to the bar real quick because my wife's gonna make me do a lot of chores. <laughs> no. so she knows I'll be home early. <laughs> I had dinner ready, so um, <laughs> so that was that was a big win there. But um, you know, love being part of Bacardi. Uh, it's interesting that the three companies I've worked for in this industry are all. Different facets of family owned, um, uh, but was Angels Envy family owned when you started, or was it on Bacardi? Bacardi, Bacardi. Gotcha. but of course the Hendersons too, right? Um, but it's you know it was it was fully owned by Bacardi. Then. Gotcha. And Bacardi bring a ton to the table. I mean mm-hmm. they've been they're truly a global company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean um, we reported up through Geneva, and accounts payable were in Costa Rica, and SAP support was in the Philippines, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So. You know, some uh, time zone juggling, but that uh, global perspective was was pretty cool, and just the uh, the cultural diversity within the. I was at a, a meeting in um, Puerto Rico, and I was the closest thing to a Yankee in the room, and that was you know you don't get that very often in Louisville, yeah. <laughs> and it was like they're all speaking English for me because I'm the only one here who doesn't speak Spanish. <laughs> like, yeah, that's kind of embarrassing. But anyway, that, that was, uh, you know, lots of lots of positive uh, things. You know, and again, just to 
different way of running running the same industry. Um, but Bacardi have a, a lot of cool things they do. You know, worked with a lot of just really smart, hardworking, fun people there. Um, and of course, you know, seeing Angel, you know, I think the when I came in, they were just coming out of that startup mode, and you know, my I was tasked with kind of taking it out of that wild west, just run headlong at the problem until you fix it. All right, all right, all right, let's slow down. Let's think about it. Let's get a process in place. Let's think about where we want to go and how we're going to get there mm-hmm. and just start, uh, you know, like I said, slapping a process on stuff. This is an amateur question, but uh, is distilling rum the same process as bourbon, but just different ingredients? Different ingredients. It's basically the same. Okay. Uh, you ferment molasses. Sure, and, right. Uh, but then, uh, and of course, it's a, sh- it's a shorter, faster, uh, you don't have to mill anything. You don't have to necessarily mash anything. Um, and then uh, the aguardiente, the uh, no, what? The, the aguardiente. Okay. <laughs> what is that? It's, it's a fun it's word the, to say. Yeah, it's it's really yeah. to say. Uh, it's, it's the, the new make. So, uh, I gotcha. And then, you know, it's, it's aged in generally used barrels uh, for a shorter period. And, of course, it's the heat of the Caribbean versus, you know, the, the seasonal cycles here. Sure. Um, but, and I, you know, it's uh, I kind of left before I really could deep, deep dive into that process. But, um, you heard the word Bacardi and you're like, I got a question about yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let me, let me throw him a curveball. So the, uh, no, the, I mean, the fermentation and distillation are very, very similar. Well, we've never talked to a rum distiller. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like, so maybe... I've, I've never been a rum distiller, I've said, <laughs> right. but I saw one on TV. Um, <laughs> but no, the, the, the gang down there, right there, you know, the, um, Joe Gomez, the, the master blender down there is just, uh, he he is uh, like one of those uh, icons of the industry. Uh, the nicest guy you'll ever meet. We'll talk all day long about it, and just he he, he wants to be your friend. You want to be his friend, mm-hmm. uh, and to get to spend time with people like him was cool. But then, like the the biggest difference, I guess, is in the aging. Gotcha. So, so you talk about how he's the master blender. Do do distillers here are they in charge of blending as well? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. 
shopify.com slash bourbon. So you talk about how he's the master blender. Do, do distillers here, are they in charge of blending as well? Or um, Generally speaking, so that's, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, in, in rum, it's all about the blending. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why the, the focus is on master blenders. And, uh, you know, if you look at the history of Bacardi, uh, the Bacardi family members have generally come up through that. Uh, that 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 supply chain, I guess, whatever you want to call it, that, through that route. It's kind of like um, the beams, you know. You yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so the the people running the business know the business, mm-hmm. um, but then on our side of it, in, in the bourbon, um, uh, you know, blended bourbon is kind of it's, it's still got that post prohibition nasty connotation. Um, so we're not so we we don't focus so much on the on the blending side of things, um, although you know there, that is that is. You know, one stave to our barrel, as it were. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, I think we're we're going to see a common theme here because I think this is a probably an inhibitor to a lot of people that that work in your type of scenario in this type of industry. It's hard to maybe make upward progression mm-hmm. because there's people within these roles that are there for. 10, 20, 30. And there's only a handful of them. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. that or or you're in a situation where it is it is a family legacy. Um, you've got the nose, you've got the Russells. Odds are they're not going to let some outsider come in. They're and, not going to let Cecil come in. Yeah, no, the Cecil, <laughs> Cecil's aren't going to make Driscoll. it. <laughs> yeah. and, and so you you have this sort of like this cap on upwards mobility. And so you had your, your time at Angel's Envy. So kind of talk about how this process came to be of of interviewing at Heaven Hill and making some connections and kind of making your way in, uh, into this role. Well, so I'd known Alan through the industry, Alan Latz, our COO. Uh, I'd known him for several years just through the industry, like I said. And, um, you know, I was I was happy at uh, Angel's Envy. Um, I was planning on going nowhere. I was not planning on going anywhere, whatever phrase, whatever that goes. phrase yeah. you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the news broke that Denny had left, and I mean, I was st- as stunned as everybody else. But it, I never, I didn't even think like, "Ha, there's an opportunity for me." It's like, "Wow, Denny left. That's amazing." All right, so you didn't work. call your agent? No. <laughs> <laughs> Can you uh, start the negotiations? Maybe I should have. Um, but um, actually, it wasn't long after that that it was Denny reached out to me, and because uh, again, I'd known Denny as long as I've been in this business, and. Uh, he said, you know, he'd been asked to find some suitable candidates and, you know, thought of me. And I was like, wow, I'm so flattered. You know, I hadn't even thought about that, but wow. And I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I've got a really good job here. I just made a big move 18 months ago. Um, I'm, I'm going to stay here. And we chatted some more. Thanks very much. That was really flattering. And it was kind of one of those things, as soon as I hung up, I was like, Damn it! <laughs> Probably wasn't the right answer. Yeah. And then uh, went home, told my wife about it, and she goes, "Yeah, that wasn't the right answer." <laughs> so uh, I forget if Alan called me next or if Denny called me back or what it was. But either way, we got back in touch again. I was like, "Yeah, let's 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 talk." And uh, the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. Um, what were the hesitations? Um, the fact that I just made a, a big move yeah. and uh, I liked what I was doing at Angel's Envy. I liked being part of Bacardi. Um, yeah, it's it's always tough to be put in a situation like that. You feel like you're going to burn a bridge yeah, or something yeah. uh, by 
coming in and it's out. It's like coaching in basketball. You know, somebody's at a mid-major, they're happy, they're doing well. And then you're like, but the big leagues is yes, more appealing. Yes, you exactly. Know? <laughs> and it's funny you say the big leagues. You know, uh, that was kind of the, 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 the catchphrase, if you will, that I boiled it down to. Like my office at Angel's Envy overlooked Slugger Field. Mm-hmm. So as I'm thinking through this, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm pitching AAA and doing fine pitching AAA. And like Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees just called. I just said no to the New York Yankees. <laughs> yeah, don't say no to the New York Yankees. Yeah. Um, so luckily, the New York Yankees weren't upset that I had said no the first time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked backwards and forwards. And the more— You played hard to get is what it was. There you go. Yeah. There you go. But, you know, it, uh, you know, throw whatever cliches you want at it. The more I thought about it, just the more it made sense. So this is just, a you know, the, the legacy of Heaven Hill, uh, the, the career progression— the whole thing just kind of came together at that point. I was like, this is this is a once-in-a-career opportunity. If I turn this down, uh, I'll never get this again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, this, if I'm truly going to take my career to where I think it should go, this is the opportunity. And, and so far, so good. Yeah, it's it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like you're also in a position like you're a Supreme Court judge, like you've <laughs> like you've been placed in a position where like unless you really screw up, yeah. like you're you're pretty like there's and, and or unless this this whole thing like tanks and there's a nuclear like breakout, like you're going to be pretty pretty well set in regards of having a good if there living. Is a nuclear war, we got bigger things to worry about. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure yeast will survive. <laughs> right. Uh, no, it's 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 not quite. Uh, I, I haven't kind of docked the ship and I'm done. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. a lot of work to be done. A lot of cool work to be done. I'm not gonna. You know, I have I haven't reached the point where I can you know glide into retirement or even I want to or rest on my laurels or any of that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just sit on the shoulders of those who came before me. You know, there's there's a lot left to be done. What are some of the like sacrifices or I guess parts of the job that you know you're I guess when you're working at Brown Forman, you're kind of behind the scenes. You're not having to deal with a lot of stuff that podcasts and podcast, like, that. like <laughs> showing up with these idiots. And like, gosh, they're taking up an hour of my day. But uh, I like, can, what are I could be taking samples right now? Yeah. I guess talk about that. Like, you know, because when you're you like you said, when you go to the big leagues, you're giving up a lot. What what are some of those things? Um, so you know, it's, it, not so much giving up, I think, but you know, they're. Um, as, you know, I think in any career, as you as you move up the food chain, you've got to got to learn to delegate and uh, either hope that you've got a good team behind you or you know engineer a good team. And in this case, I, I don't have to hope; I do have a great team. I mean, this distillery has been running for a long time before I got here, making award winning whiskey for a long time. Um, so my job is to kind of slide in, pick up the reins, and you know, keep that going on on that upward arc. Yeah, there was a time period between you and the and the Denny, so it seems like York it was still running. The still, yeah, still yeah, running yeah, between that. Nothing time. stopped. Yeah, <laughs> no, and nothing did stop. And that's it's like the uh, you know the the supervisors that are there on every shift, the the team members on on the shift, the maintenance guys, the the whole crew. I mean, um, you know, we're we're lucky enough to have you know a painter and a janitor there, yeah. and they work hard to keep the place looking clean, and there is as important to the operation, probably more important than I am, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're a good team. They, they work hard, they care. And that was, that was, uh, you know, when Alan took me in to show me around the distillery, 
on a Saturday morning. Everything was done on Saturday mornings, very surreptitious. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, you could pick up. I mean, the the crew members who were there that day were happy to see him. And, uh, you know, they they clearly were into what they were doing. And at that point, you know, we run seven days a week and they, they work seven days a week. And they are happy to do that. You know, like I said, so they're, they care. They're passionate. Um, they want to make, continue to make award-winning whiskeys. Yeah. So. When you when you have a distiller like Heaven Hill, like you said, it's such a legacy, great brands, incredible products. Mm-hmm. And like, you're like, all right, here's my baby. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing it so great. But do you look for ways to like, Improve the process, or look for ways like to put your own fingerprint on it. He's or, got at least two years before he changes. Or, it. Yeah, yeah. or do you have to do the ten thousand hours again? No, hopefully it doesn't reset to zero. Um, no, I think it's, like I said, it's uh, pick up the reins and keep things going. Um, there's always opportunities for improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go back to what I was talking about at Woodford. I mean, Woodford is making good whiskey before I came along, uh, and I had the opportunity to you know start optimizing. Um, you know where. The Bernheim distillery now is obviously further ahead than where Woodford was in those days, but there are still opportunities to, you know, just to continuously improve. And, and speaking of opportunities, talk about what was that that learning opportunity or learning curve of coming in? Because Ryan and I, we've we've been to the Bernheim distillery, we've we've toured it, and we know like the massive scale yeah, of yeah. what it's of what happens there. And so, kind of talk about was that sort of like a Oh, this is this is pretty big because um, I know it's it 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 basically makes Angel's Envy look like a dwarf at that point. <laughs> Compare that to Woodford, then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so kind of talk about that. So I mean the the scale of the Bernheim Distillery is stunning. I mean we have seventeen fermenters that are one hundred and twenty four thousand gallons each. We fill four of those a day, and obviously we empty four of those a day. So that's the bones of a million gallons of liquid we're pumping around every day. Um, we're mashing over sixteen thousand bushels a day, which is over 900,000 pounds of grain a day. That's about 20-ish loads of grain to unload every day. Now uh, I know why there's like six 50,000 barrel warehouses exactly. popping up yeah, on exactly. Barstone Road. Yeah, we have 58 warehouses <laughs> uh, with over 1.6 million barrels in them. You know, at the Bernheim site, we have 480,000 barrels. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're building a new 50,000, 55,000 barrel warehouse uh, about every six months. And mm-hmm. um, you know we're we're laying down thirteen hundred barrels a day, and we're probably dumping. Well, I know we're dumping less than that. We're probably dumping on the order of a thousand, maybe a little more than that per day. So we're continuing to grow our inventory. Who you know? determines that the numbers? I guess of how like how to increase. Who determines the increase or decrease numbers? Yeah, very finely calibrated uh, crystal ball logarithm. <laughs> logarithm. <laughs> so it's. Uh, it's a dark art, you know. You basically, yeah. sales are this today. They look to be that six months, 12 months, whatever from now. We have this much in inventory. If things continue this way, we should have that much. So we look at we look at that big picture probably, you know, indeed, you know, we're, we're looking at it continuously, but in detail probably twice a year and make adjustments as necessary. Was this... Uh, this role, your first time of actually looking at forecasting, or did you do that previously in other roles too? Um, I, w- I was involved at other roles at the other sites as well. Um, Brown Foreman uh, have a have a guy called Bill Dietrich, and he runs the model, <laughs> and uh, you know he would bring out the the Siri production plan. But I worked fairly closely with him, and um, you know at Angel's Envy, it was you know we were 
so small, so new, uh, there was no existing data to, to build it on. So um, I built this very complex spreadsheet that was, you know, uh, I ended up calling it the Wonder File. And <laughs> 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 I, I kind of got that nickname. But um, so, yeah, I've been involved. And it's, it's you make guesses, you make projections, you know, you hope you got it right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not just age it all longer. Yeah, you know? <laughs> or you know, hopefully you don't have to age it a little less. Yeah, you know? right. Like, oh, we planned for X, but now you know it was actually one point five X. So like, oh shit, what do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> and so to also talk about coming into Heaven Hill, and we talked about the you know the breadth of portfolio of just the bourbons and whiskeys that are in front of it, and I'm sure that as as the master distiller, like that is your that is your front front line of things that you, you, you talk about and, and you're the face for. So where is there like a, like a week long boot camp where somebody <laughs> sat you down and said, all right, so we're going to go through everything. You've got to remember every little nuance in the history of them. Like how, how'd that process go? It, it was a little bit of that. So I, sat, I spent a fair bit of time with uh, the brand teams and they gave me the the PowerPoint decks and the, the swag and whatever else. But and flashcards. They're The real learning, though. You got to get 10 in a row. We, we mentioned uh, Bernie Lubbers earlier. Yeah. Um, he and I have traveled a fair bit together already and, you know, gone to the Whiskey Fest and stuff. And, you know, we've gone and done, you know, uh, trainings at restaurants and bars and, you know, learning it from him and uh, seeing some of his uh, his presentations. That's, uh, that's probably where I did most of the learning. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's, a, of course, he's a wealth of tests, knowledge, too. Oh, he yeah. is, yeah. He's the whiskey professor. He is. And he makes um, it fun to learn. He know? really does, yeah. Um, well, last, but, time, you know, last be, time he was he was playing Stump the Chump with us. <laughs> yeah. I know, he made us look like chumps. Yeah, I know. He was asking, he was asking us questions. We were like, uh, we weren't paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's he's really good at what he does. And uh, But, of course, tasting the, the, the portfolio. Mm-hmm. What better way to learn it? Yeah. You know? Anyway, the, the, the funniest one is Pikesville Rye, um, my neighborhood liquor store on Frankfurt Avenue. Um uh, I'd walk by and see Pikesville Rye, and I read it as Pikesville Rye, and I was like, "Who's making rye whiskey in Pikesville, Kentucky?" And then <laughs> like a month later, I'm the master distiller for that friend, and I'm like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but then when I, I, when I, know when I tasted that, I was like, "Holy crap, this is good!" Mm-hmm. You know, and I'd known Rittenhouse for a long time, and I love Rittenhouse, but uh, Pikesville kind of takes it that takes the. Takes to the next level the there. Way to the next level, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, is is so you talked about Pikesville. Is like, is there any other like bourbon line that you kind of look at as like, yeah, this is this is gonna be like my staple. Like this. I mean, you've got to kind of give everyone their, their level of love. Yeah. Like, is there one that is there a favorite child out of the group? From well, the, from um, the main the main brands. You love all your children the same. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you think about it, we got five mash bills. You know, and I think we're the only ones uh, making those five mash bills. So the five American whiskey styles, um, and they go into all. All the different brands. So when we make the, our, our bread and butter is HH Reg, the our, our, our rye bourbon, um, and that goes into Evan Williams, Elijah Craig, Henry McKenna, whatever it might be. Um, so learning that progression, you know, uh, Evan Williams is you know it's a 2.7 million case brand. It's the second largest selling bourbon in the world. Um, and it's a, you know, if, if you look at it, if you compare it to the competition, you know, it's aged longer, it's higher proof. And I think it tastes better. Um, you know, and, and that, that kind of, to see how that, you know, ages out and becomes either McKenna or Elijah Craig and how good they are. And uh, either uh, on the rocks or I've had some fantastic cocktails lately uh, with our portfolio. And it's 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 it's, uh, it's been a fun journey. But even like the, I hadn't had much uh, wheated bourbon 
in recent decades. Uh, when I started, when I started drinking bourbon, uh, probably the first one of the very first ones I had was Old Fitz. Um, so find out that we own Old Fitz, and you know, and then we've got Larceny, and uh, you know, been so used to rye-based bourbons and to realize that you know these weeders are actually they're pretty good on in their own right they're just they're not just like a light whiskey they are a really good you know subset or you know the different side of a di- of the same coin type of thing mm-hmm. and so to and of course the the old fits the the special editions that we bring out that are you know 12 13 years old are just spectacular yeah and and that's what I think is probably you know, everybody always always get there's there's so many brands inside Heaven Hill. We've we've been to the label room before. I mean, there's yeah. there's hundreds, if not maybe there a thousand. There's, there are literally there's thousands. thousands. Yeah. So I mean it's 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 mind blowing. But then, you know, yeah, as you'd mentioned, there's an old Fitz release, there's the Heaven Hill twenty seven year releases, and people go crazy for mm-hmm. them. The but William you, Heaven Hills yeah. and the William yeah. Parks. But you're, but you're in a unique position because you get to try and sample and taste all these at barrel proof and you get to choose which ones they're yeah. coming from. So it's I get to be part of the Yeah. 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 So it's it's that's always a fun experience because like I said, you get to do like the real unicorn part yeah, of it. Yeah. Right. You know, you don't get you might not get to see the empty or the, the final packaging of it, but you get to see the process from really like where it started up until that point too. No, it's it's really cool. Like we were doing a barrel selection uh for Julio's liquors yesterday and to you know we were tasting some Twelve uh, year old at one hundred and fifty one proof. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and you got to change the barrel picks to barrel proof, man. <laughs> <laughs> we we got to do it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it kills me. Like, we'll, we'll start the petition. every time I go to Elijah Craig. There's three great. Like it's always the hardest barrel pick because there's three like yeah. stunners from Deedsville or whatever you know, and you're like. Gosh, I don't want to water this down, but you know, it, but I, I understand. You, you 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 take it to ninety four proof, and you're comparing apples to apples. Right. You, you know that it's not just like the proof or the color. Right. It's kind of changing your mind. It's like, all right, I know that I am comparing the same thing to the same thing to the same thing. So mm-hmm. you're you're getting mm-hmm. you're getting honest whiskey. Yep. And so one of the last things I kind of want to wrap it up with is is kind of a fun question because I, I want to understand like what your thought process was when this first happened. So you're going to be in front of a lot of people and I'm sure you've, you've gone and you've made your rounds at the whiskey fest and there's always, it's a, it's a responsibility of a master distiller or a brand ambassador, whoever's the face of the brand to sign the bottles. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so kind of talk about what it was to like sign your first bottle and go, okay, I've been here for like two weeks. So yeah. Like what was that experience um, like? So, uh, it was. It's kind of mind blowing, to be honest with you. Um, at Whiskey Fest Chicago, I think it was. Uh, you know, we have that uh, partnership with Goose Island. So, uh, me and Bernie and Mike Smith from Goose Island were doing a presentation on basically barrel aging and da da da. And uh, afterwards, somebody came up and asked me to sign you know, their ticket or their program or something. And you know, my first reaction was like. Seriously, <laughs> but of course, I, I that was in, in my head. Uh, but you know, you you play the role. I mean, that's this person has spent their hard-earned money to come and listen to me yap about whiskey. So, like, thank you so much. I'm honored to sign it. But it's it's pretty cool. Um, you know, our uh, Evan Williams uh, uh, Hero Program, where we recognize mm-hmm. veterans. You know, we were we're down with Chris Cruz at uh, Cruz Customs Flags last week, and he asked me to sign a bottle, and he's put a ton of pictures of it on Instagram. And I'm like, anyway, you're the cool guy. Stop making me look like that. You know, I'm just, I just scrawled on the bottle, you know. But uh, so it's, it's honestly, it's gratifying, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's, it's a little shocking that 
my right. signature, really? Yeah. You really want that? <laughs> yeah, because I remember it was uh, it was at the the Heaven Hills Select Stock 18 year release, and and I saw you there, yeah. And people were lining up, lining, to get, up, lining yeah. up to get your signature, and uh, it, it was it was just kind of dawned on me. I was just like. He wasn't here 18 years ago, but it's it's so funny that like people they gravitate towards you and and they want that as sort of like a recognition of it's like, pretty yes. funny yeah and, 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 and that's that's the role and it's you know and I, I kind of enjoy playing it yeah <laughs> it's it's pretty fun but like the uh, you, you mentioned celebrity 18 for years ago the um the what do you call it the yeah the, two weeks after I start Henry McKenna wins best whiskey in the world. And you know, all these people are interviewing me and say, "What's it like to me?" And I was like, "I had nothing to do with that whiskey," <laughs> but it's very cool that I'm right. here. And of course, the original Henry McKenna was Irish, and I'm Irish, so maybe he's maybe, maybe he's smiling down on me. Look at the Irish! Yeah, right. look at the Irish! There it is. <laughs> <laughs> it always comes back to look at yes, it. Is. Absolutely, it's it yeah. a great way to kind of wrap that up there. So, Connor, I want to say thank you so much well, for coming on guys, the show today. Yeah. Uh, it was a pleasure, like I said, just to get to know you. I think I think it's it's an opportunity for people to really see the the real personal side of you. Um, you know, we just talked before we started recording. We all live in like the same neighborhood. Yeah, uh, yep. we all we all drink the same whiskey now too so it's it's always fun and well, let's it, go to Red Dog and have a cocktail yeah, yeah. it was definitely <laughs> but seriously once again thank you for for coming on and doing this and you know Ryan I think this is a, a great opportunity for us to A get to know Connor uh, and understand really his background and you know what he brings to the table here at Heaven Hill too yeah, it's a cool story. I mean, like from Dublin to Bardstown, you know yeah. <laughs> who would have thought who'd have thunk uh, who'd have thunk but no I mean it I'm I'm Heaven Hill is like in, in my heart because I'm from Bardstown my family ton of family members work there and like just after meeting you and talking with you I know it's in good hands and that's oh, thank you, you know that's that's reassuring and so I'm I'm glad that they put chose you and you decided to call them back and uh, appreciate you taking the time to spend with us and yeah if anyone uh, has show suggestions comments feedback we love hearing from our listeners so just let us know and uh, we'll see you next time awesome thanks guys 